Today we're going to be in uh, James chapter 1, and uh, as we continue our series on radical living, this is part 2. And if you uh, need a Bible, uh, you're going to need one to follow along. And if you would like to use one of the bridges, just slip up your hand. Our ushers have extra Bibles to hand out. Uh, If you'd like to borrow one, just slip up your hand. I see nobody wants one, and you all are ready to go. Okay, there we go. Anybody else? Just slip up your hand. We're glad to pass one out. We'll tell you what page it's on. What page is it on? 837, James chapter 1, page 837, if you use the Bridge Bible. I recently read a story about a kindergarten teacher who at the end of the school day was asked by uh, one of her kindergarten boys to help him put on his cowboy boots. And she was very anxious to get him uh, off so he could go home, you know. And uh, so she began to help him put on his cowboy boots. And it was with great difficulty, one foot at a time. By the time she got one on, she was sweating bullets. With great effort, she got the second boot on. Just then, the five-year-old kindergartner said, Teacher, they're on the wrong feet. And so, without screaming, she began to take the boots off, one at a time, and they were not easy to get off. And so then she put, helped uh, her kindergartner put the boots back on correctly, with a great deal of effort, and finally, after getting both boots on, her kindergartner said, they aren't my boots. And so she began to help the kindergartner take the boots off one at a time. By this time, she is about ready to scream. And finally, she got both boots off, and the kindergartner said, they're my brother's boots. My mom wanted me to wear them. And so then she began to put the boots back on one at a time very carefully. It was much effort. They didn't seem to fit well. And finally, she got the boots back on and the kindergartner stood up and she got her his coat and helped him on with the coat. And then she said, where's your mittens? And she said, and he said, inside the boots. I stuffed them in the toes right before class today. Kindergartner, kindergarten teachers sometimes face difficulties during their daily work. Five-year-old kindergartners sometimes face problems every day, and you face challenges every day. There are car problems, money problems, bad weather, short sleep, difficulties at work, stress in relationships, poor health, overwhelming schedules. James says, count it all joy. What's up with that? That's what we're going to talk about this morning in James chapter 1. And uh, so we're going to be at, let me just um, remind you about last week. We looked at James chapter 1 and verse 1. And we looked at James, the writer, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. We spent some time pointing out who James is. James was the half-brother of Jesus Christ. He was not one of the 12 disciples. Remember, we looked at four different James in the New Testament, and this is the half-brother of Jesus. James did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah until after the resurrection. He had a radical conversion, and then he became a very significant leader in the early church 
in the church in Jerusalem. And he writes to the 12 tribes scattered uh, among the nations. And these are Christians. They're Jewish Christians that are scattered. They're outside of Israel. They're outside of Jerusalem. And they're scattered throughout the known world, the Mediterranean world. That's who he's writing to. So when we come to verses 2 through 4, if you look on your outline, uh, number one is look at your problems from a radical perspective. Look at your problems from a radical perspective. First of all, in verse 2, it's an eternal perspective. James writes, consider it pure joy, my brothers. So he's writing to Christians and talking about my brothers, those who are followers of Christ. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Life has trials of many kinds, not just a few, but many kinds of trials. Whether it relates to relationships or jobs uh, or people or family or health, many uh, kinds of trials. Uh, We don't want to look for joy in our problems, at least normally. We want to complain or gripe or grumble about problems. We'd like to face life problem free. Sometimes we dream of life without problems. Now, what if you remove problems from a five-year-old's development? What if he grows up in an environment problem-free? Everything is taken care of for him. What will he learn about critical thinking and problem-solving and adapting and adjusting and brainstorming? Probably not much. And his development will be stunted and dwarfed. What happens to the athlete that uh, chooses not to train? Um, Who chooses not to do difficult workouts? What happens to the runner who only wants to run the race but doesn't want to train in between the races? Uh, What happens to the football player who wants to play in the games but doesn't want to practice? During the week, um, anybody here ever do, uh, let me not do, but anybody hear of insanity workouts? Okay, a couple people have. How about the, uh, I think it's P90X workouts. Well, it, you can find that on, I think it's bodybuilders.com. No, it's beachbodies.com. Okay, there you go. And it's all about doing extreme workouts because People are looking for results in changing their physical appearance, their bodies, building muscle, okay? It's about doing really difficult, hard things. Uh, James points out that a radical perspective, there is a radical perspective also in in the spiritual life. And um, it's about... Seeing your problems in light of eternity, that is going to be a radical perspective. Seeing difficulties, seeing trials of many kinds in light of eternity. Why? Verses 3 and 4, it produces a mature, fully devoted follower of Christ. It produces a mature, fully devoted follower of Christ. Look at uh, James chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. 
Going back to verse 2, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face various trials of many kinds, because, here's the reason, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you can be mature and complete, not lacking anything. James understands that life's problems of many kinds develop spiritual muscles. He says that problems test your faith. Problems like, will I respond in anger? Will I be angry? Will I uh, be bitter? Will I trust God through the difficulty I'm facing? Will I be patient? Will I choose moderation? Will I choose purity as I face trials of various kinds? James writes that testing of our faith develops perseverance. Perseverance. Uh, that's strength to endure. That's a stick to Now, yesterday, my wife, Sue, and our neighbor, Lori, who's also here today, ran 13 and a half miles. Now, how do you do that? Well, you don't just go out and run 13 and a half miles. You have to do a lot of things along the way, a lot of days of running different Lengths of mileage to develop endurance and perseverance to be able to run. And that's not the longest either one of them have run. That's just what they did yesterday. My point is, because of their training, because they have gone through some uh, trials, some difficult workouts at times, they were able to do 13 and a half miles yesterday with uh, some ease. Um, So that's what James means by testing your faith, that um, it's going to produce perseverance. It's going to produce a spiritual fitness like a physical fitness, a spiritual endurance. And James says that perseverance leads to spiritual maturity Problems, um, problems in life are normal, and problems are a very important part of God's plan to grow us spiritually. So God is going to take your problems, the difficult things you face, and he's going to use them to grow you as a follower of Christ. You could consider that to be radical. Secondly, seek God's wisdom through a radical perspective, verses 5 through 8. Seek God's wisdom through a radical perspective. Um, First of all, in verse 5, know where to find wisdom. Know where to find wisdom. Definition I like to use for wisdom is that wisdom is the art of skillful living. I think that's a good biblical definition, especially from the book of Proverbs, this uh, The book of Proverbs is all about wisdom and learning wisdom. It's the art of skillful living. It's about applying uh, knowledge to everyday life. It's about applying knowledge to problems. It's the art of skillful living. James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God. Um, 
It's the art of skillful living from God's point of view. It's about making choices. It's about applying what you know to your life. And God is all about wisdom. He is the only wise God. The amazing thing is, is he makes wisdom available to us. He makes wisdom available to us through his word. He makes wisdom available to us through other wise people. Scripture says their wisdom is found in the abundance of counselors or mentors or friends who are wise. And wisdom comes through prayer also. If anyone lacks wisdom, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God. And next, expect God to give you wisdom. Expect God to give you wisdom. That's like rocket science there, isn't it? Except a lot of people just don't ask. A lot of people just do life on their own, in their own strength, in their own wisdom, in their own knowledge. Expect God to give you wisdom. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. God wants you to ask. You know, the American way is pull yourself up by the bootstraps and do it yourself. We have rugged individualism here. That's how we do things here. And God says, hey, I want you to ask for help. And um, specifically, he's talking about asking for help as you face trials. Um, As you go through difficult things in life, hard things. God loves to impart wisdom to his children. And he gives it to them, gives them wisdom generously without finding fault. This is pretty cool here. God wants us to come to him anytime over and over again. And then when you come, he doesn't say, you should have known that already. He doesn't find fault. He doesn't blame and shame you for coming for things that maybe you've made a silly mistake over and over again. He's just, he just wants to give wisdom to you generously without finding fault. He welcomes foolish people who keep making the same dumb mistakes. I guess we're all welcome. Verses 6 through 8, focus on God's promises, not your feelings. Focus on God's promises, not your feelings. You know, feelings are uh, about God-given emotions. God designed you with emotions. He's given you emotions. He's given you feelings so that you can experience life, and that's good. But uh, feelings are not always very helpful in making wise decisions. Um, they, our feelings can mislead us. For example, I feel that God doesn't love me. Do you have any input on that one? I feel that God, is that true or false? I'm describing a feeling. But what about the truth? What does the scripture say? Um, if you want me to give you the answer, the answer is God loves you no matter what you feel. Okay. I feel stupid. That's a feeling. Maybe, but I feel uh, stupid. I feel like I shouldn't bother God with my problems. You know, that I'm, just, I'm just responding how I feel. It's not, a, it's not a, responding according to God's truth. It's not responding according to God's instructions. 
or I feel I should know better. I feel like God has given up on me. What verse is that? And what we're just saying, our feelings can mislead us and misdirect us. Uh, Focus on God's promise, not on your feelings. So if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously. Verse 6 through 8. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. Because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea. We're talking about focusing on the truth, not on how you feel. Ask according to the truth. When he asks, he must believe and not doubt. Because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. It's about focusing on God's promises. It's about focusing on what God says. It's about focusing on the truth. And here James gives us an illustration that our faith can be like a wave of the sea. Uh, The wave gets tossed by the wind. It's possible that your faith can be tossed around by external forces. And uh, James would say we need to have a faith that's grounded in truth. So it's not tossed here by our society or by friends, but that we know what Scripture says and we are rock solid with it. Now, I think there are times that we have questions But come back to the truth. Come back to what God says. I think um, the the idea is the double-minded person is, okay, I'm going to trust God. I'm going in this direction. I'm going to live and trust God that this is true, and I'm going to just keep waiting on him. Now, I could have questions. I I could say I have doubts, but here's the difference. An unstable person is, is saying, Oh, I'm going to trust. No, I'm not going to trust God. Oh, I I don't know what. I'm going to trust God. No. It's about uh, walking in the truth and believing what God says. Hebrews 11.6 says, Hebrews 11.6, we have that. We don't have Hebrews 11.6. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. God uh, wants us to trust him. God wants us to come to him in faith. God wants us to bring our problems to him. And when we do, it pleases God. And we sometimes think we shouldn't bother God, that we should be further along. I shouldn't have to go over this again and again and again. Do we have Matthew 7? There we go. This is Jesus. We're talking about faith. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks the door will be opened. And Jesus is saying, ask God. Bring your needs to God. Um, Ask for wisdom. Ask for what you need as you face various trials. Okay? And God is going to answer. Expect God to answer. And then he uses an illustration here. Uh, for a parent, verse 9, which of you, if his kindergartner asks for bread, will give him a stone? Verse 10, or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? You know, and let me just finish here. If you then, 
you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? You know, even parents who are sinful, who are evil, meaning they're just sinners like all other people. They're not perfect because only God is perfect. Uh, Even parents know. Now, yes, you can have somebody who is emotionally way off target do something really stupid for their kids. Generally, parents know that if, uh, if their kid asks for bread, you know, they're not going to give them a snake or a stone. They're going to want to provide. They're going to meet the needs of their own child. And if that's true of humans, what about God, who's the giver of all good gifts? If you ask him, do you think he will provide for you and give you what you need philippians 4 6 and 7 the apostle paul writes do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your request to god and the peace of god which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in christ jesus so you're going through difficult situation if you're a student and you have a lot of exams and homework, and they're very stressful. Don't be anxious about anything but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving. Bring your problems and your, the things that you face to God and be specific in bringing them to God. God didn't say he was going to take them all away. But he can give you a peace within that struggle. And if you're taking an exam, um, that's really helpful to have clarity during that time when you're taking an exam. That's one of the very first things I learned as a follower of Christ. I was uh, going to Drake University, and I had a whole bunch of exams coming. And I, just, I, I learned this verse, and I just, okay, I'm going to pray. And I asked God to help me, and I prayed almost night and day about these things. And then I won't tell you what the grade I got was, but... Uh, I'll tell you what, I face them with peace, and I just zip right through the exam. I don't know what, I don't remember what grades I had back. But um, I was amazed. If you remember, I was an atheist when I prayed for these exams um, just weeks before. And God answered. Okay, thirdly, on your outline, remember God rewards those with rad, a radical perspective. Remember God rewards those with a radical perspective perspective verses 9 through 12 first of all verses 9 through 11 things aren't always what they seem Uh, verse 9 the brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position that's verse 9 the brother in humble circumstances who is he talking about by the first of all he's talking about a believer a follower of christ a brother in humble circumstances he's talking about someone without much in the way of material resources. He's talking about the poor. He's, um, and he said he, he ought to take pride in his high position. What's he talking about? What high position? Well, that his sins are forgiven, that he has eternal life, that he is a citizen of heaven, that the Holy Spirit lives in him. He has a very high position as a follower of Christ. A very high, eternal position as a follower of Christ. 
the brother in humble circumstances, ought to take pride in his high position. It's not about the circumstances you're in right now. It's about the circumstances you're going to be in for eternity. Verse 10, but the one who is rich should take pride in his low position because he will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with a scorching heat and withers the plant. It blo- its blossoms, its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. The Christian who has wealth should be humbled. They should be aware and reminded that it's not all about the material possessions that they have because they're going to pass away like a wildflower. Um, this is a, a great uh, reminder for American Christians. Uh, the rich man must be aware that his wealth adds nothing uh, to his life because he's not going to be able to take it with him. And it's just this sort of this reminder about people with resources and people without resources because it's not about resources. It's about following Christ. Uh, things aren't always what they seem. You know, in the world we live in, what's important? Money, nice homes, nice cars, nice clothes, nice bodies, you know, that's what seems really important to the people in our world. How important is that going to be eternally? Romans chapter 12, verses 2 and 3 says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, because there is a pattern in this world where things are really, really important and the people will die for that aren't very important to God. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the way you're going to get your mind renewed is through Scripture, through the living Word of God. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good and pleasing and perfect will. Verse 3, For by the grace given... Me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. It's a great reminder for American Christians. Do not think of yourselves that you're better than the other Christians in the rest of the world. At the same time, for some of you in this room, don't think more lowly of yourselves than you ought because God didn't make any junk. Because he loves you, you're his child, you're a citizen of heaven, your sins are forgiven, you have eternal life. You have fantastic potential in who God has made you to be. Then in verse 12, perseverance brings God's favor and God's reward. Look at verse 12. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. This is a person who perseveres under trials. The person who navigates and negotiates life's difficulties with God's health and receives God's favor and God's reward. Blessed is the man or blessed is the woman. It means uh, 
to be in God's favor. That is a good place to be. God's favor on your life. God's blessing. God's strength. God's power on your life. You're moving in the same direction that he's moving. And he's moving in your direction. Because when we uh, trust God and ask him to help, we ask for wisdom to face life's difficulties. James says, you're blessed. You have God's favor. And you will receive the crown of life. I don't know what that is. Do you? It's not eternal life. It's not salvation. It is some kind of reward. It's probably something to do with life right now, a quality of life, and a reward eternally. So when you get to heaven, look around, and you're going to see people, oh, she has the crown of life. I she walked with God through some difficult things. She has the crown of life. This is a little bit similar to Romans 8, 28. It's one we Christians throw around a lot. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. And it's a great passage. It's easy just to throw out when people are having problems, like throw a verse at them and see if that helps. Usually they just need somebody to come alongside of them and listen and bear their burdens together. But we know that all things work. In all things, God works for the good. Now, all things are not good. All things that happen to you are not good. But God can take anything that happens to you and work it for good and produce good and produce maturity and produce growth and produce endurance and perseverance. And you will become more like Jesus. And it's for those who love him. That's the same thing James said, by the way. In a Leadership Journal, former U.S. Surgeon General C. Everett Koop once said, We grow and mature spiritually through adversity, not when everything is going smoothly. In a time of adversity or trouble, the Christian has the opportunity to know God in a special and personal way. Maybe he knew something about James. Paul Reese is quoted in Leadership Journal as saying, God's love is never measured by our comfort. We often think, oh, is God's blessing on me? Is everything okay? Do we have what we want? Am I happy? God's love is never measured by our comfort. A man named Ajith Fernando, a Christian leader from Sri Lanka, in his uh, book entitled The Call to Joy and Pain, listen to these words. I think he's really nailed it here. The church in each culture has its own special challenges theological blind spots that hinder Christians from growing to full maturity in Christ. I think one of the most serious theological blind spots in the Western church, that's us, is a defective understanding of suffering. There seems to be a lot of reflection on how to avoid suffering and what to do when we hurt. We have a lot of teaching about escape from suffering and therapy for suffering, 
but there is an inadequate teaching about the theology of suffering. The good life, he writes, comfort, convenience, and a painless life have become necessities that people view as basic rights. If they do not have these, they think something has gone wrong. One of the results of this attitude is a severe restriction of spiritual growth. For God intends us to grow through trials. Wow, what do you think of that? That's radical. You know what? It's true. And that's all I have to say about that. Let's stand and pray. Father, if we have a radical perspective, we can see our trials from 30,000 feet. We can see from a big, the big picture. We can see from an eternal perspective that things are hard sometimes right now. But if we walk with you through those times, you're going to produce good in our lives. You're going to help us to grow. You're going to help us to develop perseverance. Uh, you're going to grow our spiritual muscles so that we will become stronger, that we will become wiser because we've asked for wisdom from God. God, I don't know all the, of the trials, all the problems, all the difficulties that each person is facing, but you do. God, may you have the freedom to work in our lives to continue to grow us. May we as a church be alert and aware of those around us who are struggling and need encouragement and need love and need help. Thank you that you've not left us alone. Thank you that you've given us the Holy Spirit, that you've raised up the church to live for you. God, may we be people Who can look back and say it was a joy to serve you and I look at the problems that I faced and now I see those produce so much good today I can rejoice for Jesus sake amen